Awesome. Well, the kids are dismissed for kids' praise at this time, and uh, <clears throat> thank you in advance for uh, picking up a box um, over on the table back there after the service and, and filling a box or two to send over seas. Um, we're a serving church. We want to be a giving church, and uh, as many of, of you gave during Trunk or Treat, and we had at least uh, 200 million kids walk through the parking lot. Now, now there were about... 826, someone was counting, uh, parents and kids together. So that came through the parking lot in the church, and we just wanted to bless our community. So thank you also for being at worship this morning. Um, Not quite as crowded as some other weeks because the Chiefs are playing, and uh, so that you want to participate, I'll tell you the score right now. Oh, no, I'm not going to say anything. Some of you don't care, but... um, all right, a minister was um, having to do a last-second funeral that he was called for, uh, called up to do and, and preside over, um, and he didn't really have much time to prepare, and so he went to his computer, and he found the funeral, uh, canned funeral, you know, outline that he had. He plugged in the new name to the old name. The, the last name was Mary, and then this new woman who died was Edna, so find and replace, uh, pasted Edna in where Mary was. And so the funeral went just wonderful, uh, appropriate comforting verses until he got to the Apostles' Creed at the end when they recited, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who's conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the virgin Edna. And didn't go so well then. Well, we all make mistakes, don't we? We all mess up. And uh, sometimes we offend people so much so that they're not willing to forgive us. Uh, Sometimes we can even offend God by our sin. But the good news is, although people may not forgive us and they might hold on to grudges, God will not do that when we confess our sin to him. When we agree with him, admit to him our sin, and he's always, always, always willing to forgive us. And that's the good news that David experienced in Psalm 32 after making big mistakes in his life, um, actually sins, He said, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty or without deception, without having to hide anything. The context was, of course, the story of David and his affair with Bathsheba. He, David had, uh, he was a great leader of Israel, probably the best king of, of Israel ever. Uh, he had great integrity. He was a great faithful warrior who led Israel into victory after victory. He, uh, he had great leadership skills and, again, integrity, uh, godliness. Um, but during this one particular season, David decided to take a little break in the action, and, and there was war that broke out, and so David sent all his fighting men out to the battlefield while David said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take life easy right now. You know, I've, I've put in my due, and um, I'm just going to kick back and enjoy the palace and just be comforted. And yeah, I'll pray for those guys, but I'm going to relax here. Well, we read about in Second Samuel 11, 2, that one evening at this time, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof on the roof of the palace, and from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, who apparently was on her flat-top roof below his, and the woman was very beautiful, 
And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, who was out fighting. Then David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he slept with her. She was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home, and the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I'm pregnant. This story has the makings of like a HBO or, or Showtime presentation. Well, how would David respond to his precarious predicament that he found himself in? How would David cover his tracks? Well, he resorted to plan A. Well, plan A would be let's get Uriah back home ASAP, and then under the guise of honoring him for being a faithful warrior, we'll allow him to sleep in his own bed with his wife in his warm house and we'll honor him. But when Uriah returned from the battlefield, um, he didn't want to dishonor his friends who were still sleeping on the ground on the battlefield, and so he chose to sleep on the street, so to sleep, uh, so to speak, that night. So when David heard of this, he thought, okay, uh, plan B. Let's invite Uriah to the palace. I will eat with him, prepare a great meal for him, and give him much fine fine wine or whatever, get him a little drunk, and so that then surely he will, could not resist the temptation to go home and sleep in his own bed when his, when his uh, whatever. When he, but instead, he slept on the street once again. Plan C. David thought, okay, well, I, I got to resort to sending him back on the battlefield, but he told his commander, Joab, make sure you put Uriah on the front lines. And without his knowledge, then quickly withdraw the troops from him, leaving him stranded alone on the front line so that he will be cut down and killed. When all was said and done, David would not only be guilty of adultery, but he'd be guilty of murder. Then, to make matters even worse, he took Bathsheba to be his own wife and bore their illegitimate child. David thought he had literally gotten away with murder, but God knew otherwise, and God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, brought conviction upon David's spirit, weighed him down heavily. We read in verse 3, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. David needed forgiveness in a bad way. The Bible speaks of different words for forgiveness throughout the Old and New Testament. In the Old Testament, one word is Q-U-L, kal, in Hebrew. And if you translate it in the New Testament, um, it's afime, afime. Uh, but there's another word called kridzomai. Charizomai is comes from the word charis, which we translate into grace. It's the word for grace in Greek, grace, or to freely pardon. Charizomai. This is God's kind of forgiveness that he offers to us as an unconditional gift based on Jesus' death on the cross on our behalf. His forgiveness covers all of our sins, past, present, and future. It is a gift that is given to us unconditionally. We need, we need only to receive it. And Jesus offered us his forgiveness based on that. We are justified, just as if I'd never sinned. 
where we stand righteous before God, not just our sins in the past, but in the past, present, and future. We're covered as children of God because God sees Jesus living within us. It's the type of forgiveness we read about in Luke 7 in this parable where two people owed money to a certain moneylender and one, one owed 500 denarii, which is 500 days worth of wages, and the other owed 50. Neither of them had the money to pay back, pay him back, so this moneylender forgave the debt of both. They did nothing to deserve it. The moneylender, just out of his goodness of his own heart and grace, extended forgiveness. It's, you, don't, you don't owe me anything. Well, we all need this kind of unconditional forgiveness to experience God's best life for our lives. And we can't earn it. Romans 3.23 says, We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need it because we've all sinned. And the sinful condition or the sinful nature that we inherited, we see it in children who are self-centered and they're demanding and they're impatient and they fight over the toys And we see the same type of attitude in adults. We just learn to hide that sin more. But my sins are not that bad compared to other people. Surely I deserve God's love. Well, several years ago, the actress Sophia Loren was asked during a USA Today interview about her relationship with God. She said, well, I pray. I read the Bible. It's the most beautiful book ever written. I should go to heaven, otherwise it, the Bible, is not nice. I haven't done anything wrong. My conscience is very clean. My soul is as white as those orchids over there, and I should go straight to heaven. She was basing her relationship with God and her eternal security on her own goodness. And we can think this way as well, even we're not that bad, We've lived good enough lives to deserve eternal life. Surely God is a loving God and we're all going to heaven. At least I am because I'm not as bad as that guy. Imagine though if I wanted, uh, if you wanted to give someone a brand new expensive car out of the goodness of your own heart, unconditional gift, and then that person says, I can't take that. Uh, I wouldn't feel right about receiving a gift. Here, here, here. Here's a dime. Here's 10 cents. You'd be insulted because the guy tries to make this pathetic offer of 10 cents for this brand new car. Besides, if this person pays for it, then it's no longer a gift. It's a purchase. And it's his or hers by their own right because they purchased it. When we're talking about entering into heaven and standing before a righteous God, based on our own goodness, it's like tossing God 10 cents of self-righteousness, saying, God, I deserve it. Well, our, our righteousness is like filthy rags compared to God's holiness. There's nothing we can do to earn eternal life. We've all sinned, not only in our deeds, but in our thoughts, in our words, our motives, in our deeds as well. As Lynn prayed, we we are guilty of the sin of commission. We commit sins doing bad things we shouldn't do, and we try to hide it. Or or, or we don't do good things that we should do, the sins of omission. I should be patient. I should be more loving. I should um, seek God more. I should read the Bible. I should. All these things, we're guilty of falling short 
Bible says, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. James 2.10, even James says it in this way in his, his epistle, for whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Just one sin in thought, word, or deed is enough to keep us out of heaven for eternity. And the wages of our sin, we're told throughout Scripture, is death. Death meaning separation from God. Not only on earth, but eternal separation from God. Because we have one sin, at least, against us. But thousands and thousands of sins. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the gift of forgiveness, the gift of grace, charizomai. But God took care of our sinful condition by sending his sinless son to pay the consequences of what we owed to God for our sin, namely death. And so Jesus died on the cross. We deserve to die and be separated from God. And Jesus said, no, I'll take on that consequence by dying on the cross. And we're we're told in 2 Corinthians 5 that God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us while he was hanging on the cross, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what happened on the cross was Jesus taking on our sin, past, present, and future, and in exchange, he, he grants us his righteousness. And so if we say, Jesus, I receive you and your gift, then I become righteous in God's sight forever. I stand righteous and acceptable and accepted by God forever based on Jesus' life within me, his righteousness, in exchange for our sin. So we are changed by a great exchange. So when we stand before God one day, he will not see our sin, but he will see his son. Either he'll see our sin or he'll see his son. And that will determine whether we're going to enter into heaven or not. John 1.12, yet to all who receive him... To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. John 5, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, Jesus says, and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. We simply need to receive. And you think, wait, isn't receiving a work? Isn't that something we must do? Well, for example, if I had like, I have $20 here. I'm going to give it to someone random. Random. Okay. I'm going to give it to someone random. All right. What did she do to deserve that? What work did she do? Well, she married me. That that can go to you. All right, I'll give it to you. Um, She didn't do anything to deserve it. Um, She just said, thank you, and she received it. If I told you I have a $100,000 gift for you, but you have to go to the bank to cash your check to receive it, then that would be, would that be a work to drive to the bank? Well, then I'm earning it. No, it's not. It's a gift that I've given to you. You need to claim it by saying thank you and receive it. And that's what we have to do with this charisma. It's an unconditional gift of grace that we, can do no, we cannot do nothing to deserve it or earn it. 
Well, we can be forgiven, we can be made righteous, we can be promised eternal life and still miss out on God's best for us, even as children of God. Even though we're going to go to heaven, even though we're, we stand righteous before God, we can miss out on God's best, which is the title of our message today. We won't miss out on eternal life in heaven, but we'll miss out on abundant life on earth. And this is what David was experiencing. David was God's chosen king. He was a man after God's heart. He had walked with God for years, but now during this months of pregnancy, maybe up to a year, he was missing out on God's best for him, and his sin was weighing heavy upon him. So the second kind of forgiveness we read about in Scripture is a conditional kind of forgiveness, something we must do to receive it. It's aphemi, it's called in, in Greek, aphemi. Um, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice, if, if, if informs us that it's a condition, something we must do, we must obey, and what we must do is confess our sin. This is the kind of forgiveness that David forfeited at that time and only experienced it when he finally confessed it. Confession means I agree with God that I'm guilty of sin. And you might ask, why do, we not, why do I need to agree with God and confess my sin if God is such a loving and forgiving and giving God? Why do I need to do anything? Isn't God, won't he just out of the goodness of his heart extend it to me? No. Think about this. Have you ever tried to extend forgiveness to someone who didn't think they did anything wrong? You knew they did something wrong. They offended you. You extend forgiveness, and in so doing, you offend them. Because I've done nothing wrong. What do you mean? I don't need to be forgiven. Get out of my face, dude. Same attitude is with us and God. He can't extend forgiveness to us if we don't think we have done anything wrong. We need, to, we need to admit it. We need to confess our sin, agree with him. Another condition in Scripture for, for, for this type of forgiveness. If you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. If we fail to confess our sin, if we try to hide it or cover it up, or if we harbor unforgiveness toward others, then we may not lose our relationship with God, but we will forfeit our fellowship with God, and we'll wallow in our misery, in our heaviness of heart, in our emptiness, in our lack of peace. Psalm 23.3, again, David said, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was, on, was heavy on me, and my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. David sought to hide his sin and cover it. Again, this did not endanger his relationship with God, but it hindered his fellowship with God. There was, there was a guy um, named Tim. He was recalling, Tim Smith, he was recalling a uh, time when he was like in seventh grade, and, uh, and his grades slipped during that first nine weeks of the year because he was more interested in the sports teams, and, and that was the cool thing to do. And so when he got his nine-week report card back, he noticed that there were two Ds on there, one in social studies and the other one in math. And so uh, he didn't know what to do other than to change the Ds with a little sleight of hand to Bs. 
with his little pen. Kids, it's not that hard to change from D to B. No, no, I'm kidding. Don't do that. He tried to do that, and when, when his... When his parents saw the card, the dad said, uh, Tim, uh, do, you, do you have anything to tell us? Um, what his exact words were, um, uh, I can't remember. Oh, did you alter these grades? He said, no, Dad. The cards came out with Ds, and I knew I couldn't be doing that bad. And sure enough, they were mistakes, and instead of making a new card, they decided to fix them right there on the spot. And Dad pressed me, but I still wouldn't confess. The thing I'll never forget is being called into my father's office about a week later. I sat in the chair, and and my dad then uh, reached into his desk drawer, and he pulled out a duplicate report card that he had requested from the school. I looked at the card And I waited for his anger, but he didn't say anything. And then when I looked up, I wished that he would have screamed at me because for one of the first times in my life, I saw my dad's eyes welling up with tears. And I knew that I just, I knew that I hadn't just lied to him. I'm sorry. I knew I had not just lied to him. What I'd done was I broke his heart by withholding the truth. And then there came this feeling of broken fellowship, of alienation from my father. Broken fellowship, not broken relationship. He said, I realized he's not going to disown me as his son. He'll continue to be my dad, but there was this broken fellowship because of my shame and because of my lie. In fact, there was that leading up to that point. This freedom of affirmation, forgiveness, can be experienced only after we confess our sin to God. Again, our relationship with our Heavenly Father will ne- can never be broken. He will never leave, a, leave us or forsake us when we become his child. But the fellowship can be broken. The fellowship can be broken. Our sinful condition will separate us permanently from God if we reject his son Jesus and his death on the cross. That sin nature will stay in us for all eternity until we're separated for eternity. But the fellowship with God can be restored. Um, Our sinful choices can separate us temporarily, even as children of God. We can be separated, but upon confession, God is more than ready to extend his grace and forgiveness anew. His mercies are new every morning. So after about a year of trying to conceal his sin, David finally had to come clean because he's confronted and exposed by the prophet Nathan. And then we read in Psalm 32, verse 5, Finally, I confess my sins to you. You can just sense him just relief and stop trying to hide my guilt. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord And you forgave me, and all my guilt is gone. David experienced victory, and we read about that in the first few verses. Oh, the joy of forgiveness. God longs to forgive each one of us and lead us into freedom. We can either choose to refuse him. We can refuse to confess our sin, we can deny it, we can hide it, we can justify it, we can mask it, we can reject it, 
Or we could be honest with God and say, God, I've messed up again. I confess my sin to you, and he will extend his forgiveness anew to us. And of course, as children, based on the first word for forgiveness, charizomai, we stand righteous before him, and our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. In conclusion, we need to experience forgiveness on these two levels. First, forgiveness from our sinful nature, and once we're forgiven, a relationship with God begins forever. And the second is forgiveness from our sinful choices, which would be aphemy. And once we confess those, our fellowship will be once again restored. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Um, just for the last few minutes, I'm going to ask David Frank. Where are you, David? David? Oh, there you are. Woo-hoo. I forgive you for not raising No. David's going to just share just a few-minute testimony of how he experienced this type of forgiveness in his life. Thanks, bro. Thank you. Hello. Uh, when John asked me to share part of my testimony, I was a bit fearful. However, the Bible reminded me in 1 Peter 3.15, which says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I have always assigned myself labels. They are used to define who I believe I am and how I believe others see me. Before I came to Christ, my labels were sinner, hopeless, helpless, unredeemable, and alcoholic. To understand how I gave myself these labels, you must understand a bit of my past. I grew up in a household that did not go to church. We did not speak about God, and the only requirement for happiness was to live a life deemed good by societal standards. I also grew up in a home where alcohol was a part of everyday life. When I became an adult and started my own life, I carried these beliefs with me into the world. So when situations arose that I did not feel, com- feel equipped to handle, I turned to alcohol as a solution to the problem. Before long, however, I turned to alcohol for everything, and every situation in life was a cause for a drink. In September of 2009, my father, who was also an alcoholic, took his own life. This loss broke me in such a way that words cannot accurately describe, and for the next two years, I rarely drew a sober breath. I do not recall the exact date, but I know that one night I found myself prepared like my father had to take my own life and end my addiction and suffering. I also remember hitting my knees that night and begging God, whom I did not have a relationship with at the time, to help me. It was a prayer from, from a place of such de- desperation and hopelessness that I still recall its impact today. It was in that utter darkness that I decided my way wasn't working and there had to be another path for me. This could not be all that God had designed me for. My life did not immediately change after that night or that prayer. However, I could not shake what I had felt during that desperate moment crying out to God. I do know it wasn't long after that event, however, that I found myself at Countryside. My first thoughts coming through the door were fearful, that voice in my head saying, 
If they know what I've done and who I really am, they will kick me out. Instead, I found a church full of people who not only talked about grace, but practiced it. I found a light in the darkness and a church body that told me, come as you are, come broken, come burdened, just come. I found friends that had become family and watched as they showed me through the way that they lived what a walk with Christ looked like. I listened to the sermons and found solace in God's word, particularly Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I found a trust in God and his people that I had not known was possible. In August of 2011, with God's immeasurable love guiding me, I gave up the sinful lifestyle that was crippling me physically, emotionally, and spiritually. In the, begin, it was, in the beginning, it wasn't easy, but I knew if God was with me in the darkest parts of my life, he was surely with me as I tried to walk the path that he had set forth for me in the Bible. It's been over 12 years since I chose to live the life God always wanted for me and to follow the example given to us in his word. Each day I wake up, I am reminded of the gift that God has given me, and each day I am presented with a choice, either follow the path that God wants for me or do it my own way, always finding that my way leads to challenges and less fulfillment. Today, I choose to let my life be a living, breathing, walking testimony of a life redeemed by Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Today, I choose to live my life cherishing this gift of new life that was freely given by following Christ, not out of obligation, but out of love. I'm going to close this testimony the way it began. I've always assigned myself labels. They are used to define who I believe I am, and today, how I believe God sees me. God, however, has thrown the old labels out and replaced them with wonderful new ones, like trusted, honorable, friend, redeemed, loved, cherished, and above all, forgiven.